constant through all the years, Ray. It's been beyond the game. Beyond the game. Beyond the game. Oh, I hurt that so much. The most well-known, the best-looking, the best-dressed. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That's the dumbest thing I could think of. You guys are so young and stupid. No idea who you're talking about. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. That is a career ender. Just like this show. Please clap. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to Beyond the Game. We're so glad. In fact, we're honored to have you with us as we mix faith and sports, highlighting the stories and the people of faith within the sports world. I'm Benson. He's Zach. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. TownAndCountrySolutions.com or give them a call at 585-426-5024. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. And when you get a chance, Check out our website, btgprogram.com. You'll find an archive of previous broadcasts, segments, and interviews. And we'd love to have you follow us on Twitter, at btgprogram. I want to welcome in a new audience listening this morning on 87.7 FM in Syracuse, New York. Excited to be on the air in Syracuse. And what can we say, Zach? Go Orange. Yeah, go Orange. I know this will seem somewhat hard to believe. I know it, but hang with me. But according to a Belgium newspaper, there's an ongoing investigation into a cheating scandal into the high-integrity sport of cycling. What? Yeah, cycling. I know you never hear this sort of stuff around cycling, (laughs) but allegedly Femke van den Driesch has had her bike detained during a race in Belgium. Authorities claim that the bicycle was equipped with a motor. A motor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the motor is concealed in the bike's seat tube, you know, that that vertical tube, I guess, that the seat would attach to. Inside really? that, it was a motor. It's that small? It was controlled by a tiny switch under the handlebars. And the battery pack to operate that motor is hidden in the water bottle. As would be expected, she denies all accusations, as does her coach and father, who explains someone from her team who sometimes trains with her brought the bike to the pit. Yeah, okay. Seems reasonable to me. Nobody sure. else in, in cycling's ever cheated before, so I'm, I'm sure <laughs> this is a first-time thing. Kansas basketball head coach Bill Self found himself apologizing to rival K-State the other night after a blowout 18-point victory. If you hadn't yet seen the video, with about three seconds left in the game. And at this point, Kansas is up 16 points. Players are basically just milling around the court starting to walk off towards the sidelines. Kansas guard Brennan Green takes off unguarded to the rim to throw down a two-handed dunk. I saw that. Didn't didn't Self chew him out after the game? Oh, yeah. He called the act totally classless in a post-game press conference. He was a little more um, aggressive in subsequent interviews using some words that uh, I can't repeat on the air to describe the play. (laughs) Well, it was classless. He's 100% right. Oh yeah, it was, that was a bad look. He had also been suspended, Green, by the team earlier in the year, I guess for a few games, for conduct detrimental to the team. 
An interesting announcement this week from Roger Goodell that the NFL will institute a Rooney rule for women when it comes to all NFL executive positions. The announcement came at the NFL Women's Summit. NFL Women's Summit? I, what? First I've heard of that. A gathering said to be of roughly 250 men and women there to listen to speakers on issues affecting women in sports. Now, I wonder how that 250 breaks out. Is that 125 each, or is that like 249 women and one dude? How would you like to be a guy at that summit, though? Scheduled to speak are such relevant NFL personalities as Serena Williams, Billie Jean King, and Jordan Sparks. Okay. Goodell made the announcement in conjunction with former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, who, by the way, has said in the past that she would be interested in serving as the NFL commissioner. I remember that. She's currently on the uh, college football playoff committee. Mm -hmm. So you wonder, was this an unofficial interview, perhaps? But does this strike you as more of a PR move? The NFL obviously haven't taken some heat in recent years when it comes to women, specifically to such criminal offenses as domestic violence. We've seen women coaches getting opportunities, notably the Bills hiring Catherine Smith as the league's first female full-time coach. The Rooney Rule's been around since 2003, and it may or it may not have made a difference in the hiring of minority coaches. I suppose it depends on your perspective. The only one I know of is Mike Tomlin, ironically, with the Steelers. I'm talking off the top of my head. It seems like back then there was... Was there two coaches, two minority coaches in 2003? Maybe now there's six. I think there was one time eight, but I think it's six. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it, if if my numbers are right, and I say yes, it's helped perhaps. Maybe it had nothing to do with it. I, I don't know. And while I suppose that at a minimum, someone will get an interview, which at least is an opportunity maybe to change somebody's mind if you get the opportunity. Um, to get in an interview room. But it feels to me like the teams will do whatever to meet their obligation, and maybe they're doing that now. I have no idea. And then do whatever it is they want to do anyway once you've interviewed uh, Mr. or, in this case, Mrs. Token. So, I mean, who wants to be that? Who wants to be Mr. or Mrs. Token in the interview process? Well, that's what's so dumb about the rule is so many co- so many teams, they interview you know a black coach because they have to, that guy knows more often than not he's not getting this job. You know, you have to think. Or what if you do get a job and you know that it's only because of the color of your skin? I also want to know, with the female Rooney rule, how many women are there that are qualified that, you know, is it good, like the same three women going to be interviewed by every team because there, there aren't there's enough? There's certainly some. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But it would seem to me that the the talent pool is smaller mm-hmm. and maybe that'll grow over time. And you know, I say all that, and I guess while I wouldn't want to be that person, I wouldn't want to be the person that's just getting an interview because of the color of my skin or because of my gender, but someone would want that opportunity. Someone would rather have yeah. that challenge, I suppose. There's somebody out there that's going to say, if I get the interview, I'm going to impress them, and I'm going to change some people's minds, and even if I don't get this job. So I'm just turning myself around on this. On today's program, we're going to talk with a good friend of mine, Craig McClure is a missionary serving God in the Dominican Republic with SCORE International. He's also involved with Baseball Chapel, and he's really just one of those rare and unique people with such a heart for God that it just gets you excited just to talk with him. 
We'll have some of our regular features, such as our Pest of the Week. I'll tell you what was the most amazing thing I saw this week, as well as what frosts my fanny. And we can't not talk a little about John Scott and his MVP of performance at last week's NHL All-Star Game, all coming up on Beyond the Game. Everyone, listen up. We have said it time and time again on this show, and it's never been more true than right now. Our title sponsor, Town & Country Pest Solutions, and we would say this even if they weren't giving us money because they're the best, just not as often. They have a solution for you. Are stink bugs bothering you? Call Town & Country. Are mice or other furry critters using your home as an escape from the cold? Call Town & Country. Do you have bed bugs or know someone that does? Call Town & Country. Their team of extremely knowledgeable professionals will get the job done for you. They will be in and out, inconveniencing you a lot less than those pesky critters have. And unlike some other popular pest control companies in the area, Town & Country Pest Solutions guarantees their work. They also won't make you leave your house for days and weeks. A few hours at the very most is all they need. Don't delay. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. I've been telling you about McAfee's Remodeling Company on this show for a long time. They're family-owned and have been in business for nearly two decades. They're great for all your interior and exterior home remodeling needs, but they also do much more. McAfee's Remodeling is now proud to offer Hydro Garden Construction to help you become more self-sufficient by growing food in your own home year-round. And they are now proud to be offering skylights and light tunnel installation. Light tunnels bring more healthy natural light into your home, allowing you to use less artificial light and save on electricity. So give McAfee's Remodeling a call at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. If you're waiting for me to start talking, I'll probably just be listening to this for a while. I think that's my favorite Stevie Wonder tune. Maybe Sir Duke, but that one. Oh, it's a great song. That is, it's so funky. Zach, let me tell you the most awesome thing I saw this week. And now it's time for The Most Awesome Thing I Saw This Week. Everything is awesome. As you know, I've been on a bit of a bandwagon uh, recently. And by recently, I mean probably the last 10 or 12 years. (laughs) Telling anyone that'll listen to me that the baseball all-star game is the only one worth its salt. I like the the skills competition in the NHL. For some reason, I think the dunk contest in the NBA is just sort of played out. But I like the skills in the NHL. The NFL Pro Bowl is awful, just awful. Oh, yeah. The NBA doesn't really do anything for me because they they don't play a lick of defense. There's no real fighting for position or any other physical aspect of the game of basketball, so it's left out of that. And the same went for the NHL in recent years. There's just been no defense. Although I was admittedly intrigued by this three-on-three format that the the NHL excuse me, came up Mm -hmm. with. And I said, I said I probably wouldn't even check in. But I couldn't help myself. 
and it was glorious. Oh, it, it was. It was so good. I found the NHL All-Star Game wildly entertaining because of the format, for one. I thought it was terrific. But, of course, also because of the story of John Scott. Oh, and yeah. that was the most awesome thing I saw this week. One of you, the coolest things that I thought I that I saw was it was a, a wide open three on three format, but in the final game of the of the tournament, you had a one nothing game. There was defense, there was goaltenders. It, it was you know it was actually an interesting game. Yeah, the one the one negative from I'm sure the team's perspective is your goaltenders took a lot of shots. Yeah, they did. You know they were basically just sitting there taking, getting pelted. But you couldn't have made the story up. And I've heard some people suggesting that this John Scott situation was all orchestrated by the league. No way. No, they did you not want him there. You can't make that up. The NHL was embarrassed by fans who made a mockery of the All-Star voting by making John Scott, John Scott a captain, no less. Mm-hmm. Not just on the team, a captain, for crying out loud. And here's John Scott, a big enforcer-type player, Probably not in the top 80% of the league in terms of talent. And I'm probably being very generous, well, right? I, I think he's only played in 11 games this season. He's been a healthy scratch more than he's played. So the, that tells you a lot. The fans had fun with it. They got him into the game. It embarrassed the NHL. And suddenly, Scott found himself traded out of conference and then demoted to the NA, uh, to the AHL, excuse me, and was technically ineligible for the game. But because of pressure from the fans, the NHL relented and uh, allowed Scott to play, who not only played, but went out and played tremendously well, scored two goals, and was named MVP. It's a Disney movie that you you. If you had seen this written out as a script for a movie, you'd be like, "Yeah, okay, it's a feel good story, but this is too much." You know, it was just a picture perfect ending. Had he not been allowed to play, he would have lost out on quite a bit of incentive money. And I don't, I don't know his financial situation, but I'm certain the money comes in handy for a guy with. A number of kids. His kids were all over the television. His wife's pregnant with twins. I mean, this this story, every single thing about the story is just unbelievable. Some reports made him out to be like a character on My Name is Earl, just so <laughs> living in a trailer park, destitute. And I'm not nothing against trailer park. I lived in a trailer park for many years, but destitute for money, like he was living in a shack somewhere on Walton Mountain. But then he wins a boatload of money as part of the winning all-star team and and the game's MVP. It was an, It was so much fun. But Let's talk for a minute. We, we need to be real. The NHL, they've got to fix the voting procedure, right? In fact, all the leagues probably need to do. I know they like to put it up to the fans, but, I mean, are the fans going to be looking to do this again next year, find a new John Scott? I mean, it was a great story once. It's not going to be a great story repeating itself if every year they find some you know, yeah, it's going to eleven get, game player, as you say, and put him yeah. out there on the All Star. It'll get tired and old, just like the All Star game has had gotten before this year. But the three on three format, yes, please. Oh yeah, we'll we'll take more of that. That was terrific. See, I don't think next year that they'll need to do some kind of gimmicky thing like John Scott because the action in the games was so good. People will will tune in for that. They know it's good now. Yeah, it re- it really was terrific. The best part is John Scott's kind of an overnight celebrity now. Uh, I think he was mentioned more last weekend than the Pro Bowl was, at least on in my Twitter timeline. But he seems to be handling it with class. He seems to be a pretty genuinely good guy. Most of us couldn't handle being a sports celebrity. Of course, the first thing people will think about is how nice the money would be. And yeah, the money would be nice. 
But yet most people would not have the work ethic to put in the practice hours, the training hours necessary to reach the levels that professional athletes achieve. Additionally, I think most people are not willing to sacrifice the way they do and have their level of discipline in their lives. Listen, we all like our ice cream. We like our pizza. We like lounging on the couch. And maybe the biggest negative in the life of a sports celebrity is the lack of privacy. You and I do dumb things all the time. We make bad decisions. Fortunately for most of us, we can conceal it most of the time. We can laugh it off because so few people ever really know how many bad decisions we actually make. But when a sports celebrity does a dumb thing, it's all over the news. Social media blows up. It's a topic of conversation in workplaces all over the country. Well, this past week we were treated to several examples of foolishness that we can we can be glad it wasn't us. Johnny Manziel, for one, continues to astonish with his level of immaturity that proves he's either trying to make sure Cleveland doesn't bring him back or prove that being a football player is not as important as being a party celebrity to him. Manziel, who was already likely not to be welcomed back in Cleveland, blew up social media with seemingly no regard that his appearances at clubs and bars this past week or within the last month was easily traceable. He's foolishly acting like that child who's just determined not to bend or break his will despite the, the long-term damage that he's doing, even to himself. Does anyone doubt that he's following in the path of a Todd Marinovich, a Ryan Leaf, or countless others whose names you wouldn't recognize? Former Cowboys quarterback Troy Aikman was quoted by SI.com, I believe it was also on SportsCenter, it was throughout the news, that he believes that it'll either be Manziel or Robert Griffin III who will be a backup to Tony Romo in Dallas next season. While the Dallas Cowboys have moved in inexplicable ways at times, unless Manziel shows that he is serious about football, I don't even think they'd take the chance. But someone will. You know, I think the damage for Johnny Manziel is done. I think it's whoever does give him a shot, it'll be a long-shot opportunity. And I think the chances of him being out of football altogether within a season or two are actually better than him being a starter somewhere. There's also the story of Los Angeles Clippers forward Blake Griffin. Griffin injured his right hand after hitting the team's assistant equipment manager during an argument. According to reports, the argument started in a restaurant. But after the staffer left the restaurant, he went outside. Griffin followed him outside and hit him again, allegedly suffering a fractured hand. Griffin's story actually seems to hit a little closer to home for me than does Mansell's. It's a little more relatable. Griffin was friends with the man. They vacationed together. But, as for many of us, one thing led to another. Frustration turned to anger, which got out of hand. Next thing you know, he's in the news. And now Griffin, who is just about to return from an injury that caused him to miss a significant number of Clippers games, he's going to be out several more weeks. Here's my point. Just because they're celebrities doesn't make them that different from you or I. We do dumb things too. And unless we check ourselves, those dumb things, those bad decisions will continue and they'll even escalate. And furthermore, we have an obligation to those involved and to others who may be affected by our actions, to set things right again. We all make bad decisions, but regardless of our level of celebrity, 
We all fix a bad decision in the very same way. Let me give you some thoughts on this from the Word of God. Not all bad decisions, by the way, are sinful decisions. But regardless of if it was sinful or not, the very first step is to own it. Take responsibility for your actions. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whosoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Set up boundaries as a safeguard to avoid making further bad decisions. And establish accountability practices and partners who will uphold you, who will encourage you to do the right thing. We need to take responsibility for our actions. If our bad decision was sinful, we need to confess it to God. 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means you acknowledge your guilt in the matter. Not just, hey, I'm sorry. You acknowledge your guilt in the matter, and you ask him to forgive you for what you did. Once you've done that, God will cast them as far as the east is from the west, remembering them no more. Take responsibility for your action. Confess it to God if it was sinful. And then for crying out loud, stop doing that thing. It's one thing to confess sin, but it's another thing to turn away from that sin. There should be a commitment to do whatever it takes to change. So many people mess up in their lives. Then they show up at church looking for that quick fix. But then they're gone after just a few short weeks or a short while. Going back to the same lifestyle of sin that got them into trouble in the first place. You need to be committed to changing over the long haul. Stop doing that thing. Spend some time in Scripture. Study the Word of God. Learn what God says about whatever that issue is that you're struggling with, whatever bad decision you made. Find out what God says in Scripture. This is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's absolutely essential that we learn what God has to say about the sinful mistakes we make. When we know what God thinks, we begin to identify that path away from sin. Spend some time in Scripture. Ask for forgiveness. Here's a big one. We need to ask for forgiveness from anyone who was hurt, anyone affected as a result of our bad decision. When we sin, we often hurt others, and sometimes we don't even realize how badly. Think about it. we got to spend some time thinking about who did we harm, and then go to those people and apologize. You may not be able to fix it completely. They might not even forgive you, but you still need to do your part and everything you can to make it right. Take responsibility for your actions. Confess it to God if it was sinful. Stop doing that thing. Spend some time in Scripture learning about the issue, learning what God has to say, and seek forgiveness from any who were hurt, any who were affected by your bad decision. Listen, this, this of course, is not an exhaustive list. There are many other helpful things you can do. But just as an example, if Johnny Manziel or any other sports celebrity who's made a bad decision or a series of bad decisions, if they took these steps here, Steps we find in the Word of God, 
I wonder how that would affect your opinion of them and how, how would that change the potential career path and the opportunities that they have? I think that overall we are a nation that forgives and for the most part, we're willing to extend second chances. But this is the sort of stuff we want to see. We want to see someone who is contrite, someone who is humble, someone who has taken responsibility for their actions. God's word is as relevant now as it ever was. It's as impactful now if we allow it to be in the lives of people whose names most of us will never know, as well as for those who enjoy or maybe suffer from the notoriety of fame. Just a few thoughts from scripture submitted with all humility for your consideration. I'm Rick Benson, and this is Beyond the Game. The new self-titled album from the Derringers is now available on iTunes and Spotify. With haunting lyrics which reveal the passion behind each song, their harmonies and acoustic styling blend together superbly for a unique sound that feels like home. Download the Derringers today. The five-song EP is just $4.95 and available now on iTunes and Spotify. I've been telling you about McAfee's Remodeling Company on this show for a long time. They're family-owned and have been in business for nearly two decades. They're great for all your interior and exterior home remodeling needs, but they also do much more. McAfee's Remodeling is now proud to offer Hydro Garden Construction to help you become more self-sufficient by growing food in your own home year-round. And they are now proud to be offering skylights and light tunnel installation. Light tunnels bring more healthy natural light into your home, allowing you to use less artificial light and save on electricity. So give McAfee's Remodeling a call at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. I'm so pleased to be able to welcome now to the show my friend Craig McClure. Craig is a missionary serving the Lord in the Dominican Republic. He's also a Red Sox fan who's married to a Braves fan, but somehow they're able to make that work. Craig, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, my pleasure, brother. I'll tell you, buddy, it seems unthinkable that as a young man with a pretty young wife that your one request when going to the mission field was that you wanted to be sent to a place where nobody else wanted to go. And like many other missionaries, God must have given you a remarkable spirit of courage, a spirit of discipline. But yet, after a full year there, nobody had yet come to faith in Christ, and you're still in an area with absolutely zero other believers other than one another. How difficult was that, and how did you remain encouraged about the work you were doing? Well, when Joanna and I accepted the call to come to the Dominican, like you said, we were very specific that we wanted to be sent into an area that nobody else wanted to work. And I believe that's because I, I want to believe that I am so radically God-centered in my ministry, in my theology, in my marriage, in my life, in the way that I parent my kids, that my obedience, my joy, my peace, my encouragement, none of that is contingent on fruit or convergence. I'm not a missionary because I believe that I'm going to save the world. I'm a missionary because God said, go. Go to the dark places. The light shines brightest in the darkest of night. And so 
I want to think that I could have spent two years, three years, or five years now with no fruit and still been encouraged because of my identity in Christ. God is worthy of their worship, and they don't know it. They're dead. Um, they're, they're dead in their sin. They can't see. They're blind. They can't hear. And so my encouragement comes from Scripture. You know, God says, Paul says in Ephesians, that God being rich in mercy, while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. That was our greatest encouragement, that God was going to give us fruit. He was going to give us conversion. But even if he didn't, we were going to still press forward because we don't obey to see the fruit. We obey because we're told to obey, and that's what we do. So, you know, Peter said, be ready to give a, a defense for the hope that is within you. And I think a lot of times as missionaries, we're, we feel pressure that that hope is in, well, how much fruit do you have? How many people have been saved? How many churches have you planted? But it's pretty clear that that hope is Jesus and not on how people respond or receive us. And so that that is our encouragement, is our identity in Christ. I do want to let folks know that Craig is talking to us via a Skype connection from the Dominican Republic, a fairly remote area of the Dominican Republic at that. They don't always have electricity, let alone a reliable Internet connection. So I do apologize if the call quality isn't always there. You may hear some static or some dropouts, some fading. And again, I apologize, but we are happy to talk to Craig in spite of all that. You started a church plant, Craig, in an area where voodoo was commonly practiced, and in fact, one of the earliest converts was a voodoo witch doctor. Since then, God has glorified himself by multiplying that church several times over. Can you take a few minutes and tell us about that and of your ministry overall there in the Dominican Republic? Yeah, I mean, we, um, you're specifically talking about a young, or a young man, he was 70 (laughs) when he came to know the Lord, (laughs) by the name of Tomas. Tomas was heavily involved in voodoo witchcraft. And we just began to love Tomas. We visited with him uh, on, on an almost daily basis, sharing the hope of the gospel with Tomas. And after a little over a year, um, he we were sharing the story with Nicodemus. And Tomas, being an old man, he said, well, I'm with that guy. How can I enter into my, mother, my mother's womb a second time? And when we clearly just tried to lay out the gospel, Tomas said, that's what I want. I, I want Jesus. I want, to, I want Jesus to be my only Savior. He, he prayed then to receive Christ, and, and in his prayer, he began to pray for his wife and for his children and his family. And I believe that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see people coming to know Jesus, and then we see their oikos, their, their friends and family around them, um, begin to see the light. And God begins to multiply disciples through individuals as they reach out into their um, immediate network. And so our church in San Jose, where we started, like I said, it was a rough year. We, we had a lot of people that attended the activities that we did. Uh, but as far as conversions and true, authentic fruit that we believe will last through eternity, it took a while. But we have since planted that first church in San Jose. It'll be four years old, actually. Um, Thursday, the church will be four years old. And, and since that time, she has um, duplicated herself in another area called La Rinconada, which is led by a young man that I've been discipling for about four or five years, Omar. That church, under the leadership of Omar, um, empowered strictly by indigenous Dominican men and women that have come to know the Lord, and that, that church has multiplied itself into five new communities. And so God is giving grace, God is giving fruit, and we're starting to see movement in the areas where when we arrived there, just to back up a little bit, there were zero Christians and zero churches in any of these communities that we were reaching out to. We're talking with Craig McClure. Craig is a missionary in the Dominican Republic. He's partnering with SCORE International. 
In addition to the church, a medical clinic, and a school, you've also built a water house there in the area. Now, Craig, as you know, we take clean water for granted here in the States, but you saw the need there firsthand through your own son. How desperate is the need for pure water among the people you minister to, and how do you use it to help people see the love of Christ? Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of different ministries taking place. Two or three years ago, a guy from Syracuse, New York, by the name of Joe Salvagni, came down and was sharing the story about how we have such a need for clean drinking water. We had a lady in our village that was attacked with a machete over a five-gallon bucket of water because we went two weeks without any fresh water. And when we were finally to get our hands on it, a guy robbed her and cut her pretty severely with a machete. My son, Joseph, although born in the Dominican Republic, he has American parents with resources that most people in the community obviously don't have. But at the time, Joseph was probably two to three years old. Joanna had had to treat him for parasites a few different times. I won't get into the details of how disgusting that was, but it was pretty nasty. And so when I met with Joe and I share these things with him, this, he's a guy that just jumps into action. And he um, raised support and provided us through the generosity of many donors and a ministry called Water at Work. We now have a water purification house on our property, capable of purifying about a 1,000 gallons of water per hour. And then we distribute that out not only to our community, but also to about 18 different villages and within our network that we hope to church plant in. And that's all led by a young man by the name of KK, who came to know the Lord under our ministry, has been discipled, and is now the role of pastor. So that's his income. But the, the point of the water is not necessarily to give the water. It reminds me of Jesus in Matthew 14, I believe. Jesus, he, he comes in and he looks at the people and he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. Um, he was meeting felt needs as an opportunity, as a platform to share the gospel and not bring just a temporary fix, but to bring an eternal fix through, obviously, the living water, you know, John 4, the Samaritan woman. But um, that's what we use the water for. It's uh, our saying is, donde te ofrecemos más que agua, where we offer you more than water. And our hope is that by providing clean drinking water to literally thousands of people in our network, we will be able to... Uh, offer them more than just water. We'll be able to offer them, offer them the hope of Jesus Christ. I know how much you enjoy the game of baseball, which of course is everywhere you turn in the Dominican Republic. You're working as a team chaplain for several of the major league organizations that are down there. For our listeners who have never been, they likely have no idea just how important that game is to the Dominicans. But it's not just a recreational thing, is it? Can you explain the opportunity which baseball presents for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, uh, I, I deeply love the game of baseball. It's funny, when I was called into missions, I used to think, oh, I'm going to be in Latin America where they play soccer. Um, and I'm a baseball guy. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then God placed us kind of in the baseball hub of Latin America. And I recognized very early in our ministry that uh, baseball was probably the greatest opportunity to gather a crowd and share the gospel. Dominicans, young men will drop out of school as early as 10 to 12 years old uh, and dedicate their entire lives to baseball. They'll play baseball all day, every day, because for them, it's not simply recreational. It's an opportunity to get off the island. It's an opportunity to escape poverty. And so we're able to come in and we, we bring in, obviously you've been down, many others have been down and provided baseball clinics for these communities and teaching them bettering their baseball skills, but uh, for us, it's that's secondary. You know, we want them to be good ball players. We want them to, um, to be successful there, but we want to use that as a platform. And so 
Uh, most of them won't make it. Most of them will never get signed. And now they're unsigned, they're uneducated. And now what do they do? And so we just want to minister to them as a local church and, and show them that there is a greater opportunity in, in Christ versus in baseball. Baseball is their God. And we want to show them that whether they eat or they drink, whatever they do, they should be doing it for the glory of God. And God can be magnified through baseball. You talked about many of the young people playing the game, putting everything into it as a means of escaping poverty, the hopes of their entire families often riding on it. How do they handle it when it doesn't happen for them? Is there a depression level perhaps that follows when those hopes and dreams go unrealized? As, as you say, most of them are not going to play professionally and they need to find work in another way. In our experience, in the demographic in which we work, you're talking about young men who lived on a dirt floor their entire life with no indoor plumbing, and they have these dreams of getting signed. And statistically, there's a lot that do make it, but the majority don't. And so I believe that our work with Baseball Chapel, like like you mentioned, I'm uh, the full-time chaplain for the Colorado Rockies affiliate here on the island. We go in and we do Bible studies with these baseball players every week. Sometimes we'll have 20 to 40 young men that have signed professional contracts, and the vast majority of them will be released in a three-year period. So then what happens? They go back into their villages. They go back into their communities as failures. They dive into alcoholism. They dive into other vices. And so we have an opportunity while they're at the academies to basically share with them that baseball is a secondary issue to try to encourage them to get their GEDs, to try to encourage them um, to remain sexually pure, find their identity in Jesus and not find their identity in baseball. And we have the opportunity to change a generation of young men coming out of these academies and falling into fathering multiple children with multiple women, alcoholics and living um, very, very depressing lives back in their communities. Craig, every time I hear you preach, your passion for making disciples just shakes me and inspires me. And I know that you came to Christ as a youth. Would you mind telling us the circumstances surrounding your conversion, maybe more specifically, when you heard God's clear call to make disciples there in the Dominican Republic? Like most guys that come to know the Lord at that age, I went through high school with ups and downs. But I think the turning point in my personal walk with the Lord was when I was 18. I met Joanna when I was 16. We started dating when we were 16, and she'd spent the majority of her life in Monterey, Mexico. And when I turned 18, her parents took me with them to Monterey, Mexico on my very first mission trip. Now, to kind of set the table for this, you need to understand, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains in an all-white county. I went to an all-school in the South. I had no experience with any kind of cross-cultural anything uh, in my entire life. And when I crossed the border of McAllen, Texas, heading into Mexico, God, not audibly, but might as well have been audibly, said to me, Craig, this is what I put you on the planet to do, to be an ambassador to Latin America. I left that trip and came back to college where I'd anticipated, you know, maybe playing college baseball. That's kind of what I thought I was going to do. And I remember meeting with the coach in the parking lot of my dorm and said, Coach, God's called me to be a missionary. I'm going to study Spanish. I'm going to study abroad, and I'm going to the nations. Uh, Joanna already had language, and so she began to study nursing to use that as a platform. But I believe it, it all kind of centers around the Great Commission. We look at the Great Commission, we think the Great Commission is go. It's not. The Great Commission, the imperative there is to make disciples. And that's what we're about. We're not about church planting. We're not about medical missions. We're not about baseball ministry. I want to be a disciple maker. I want to equip people to complete the Great Commission and that they obey 
all that Christ Jesus has commanded. They find their joy in him, and God is glorified. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Great John Piper quote, and I believe that God is most glorified in disciple-making process. And so we've dedicated our lives to that. It is my greatest passion is to see self-feeding disciples making other disciples and to see generational growth in the multiplication of disciples here in the Dominican Republic. And so, like I said, you don't have to talk to me very long to know that that's my heartbeat. That's what gets me excited. And so uh, I'm just privileged to be able to do that. You're doing the hard work, Craig. You're the one who left home. You're the one who went. And, of course, our listeners can pray a necessary command from God. But how can they support you financially? Supporting Probably the quickest way would be to go to the left corner, click on the search button, and just type in Craig or type in McClure, and it'll take you right to our donation page. And people can hear a little bit more about what we do, see mine and Joanna's testimony there, and it gives you the opportunity to donate if you feel led by the Lord uh, to do so. I think you cut out there just a little bit. Can, can you give us that website one more time? Yeah, the website is scoreintl.org. It's the School International's website. Um, they handle all of our finances. It says scoreintl.org. We mentioned prayer. Do you have some specific needs that we can pray about for you? Yeah, uh, certainly. We're, we're working this year. We're dedicating most of our time to the equipping of uh, pastors and leaders in the disciple-making process. If the Great Commission is about making disciples, then do we have a strategy in place to do that? And so we're praying for... Um, leaders all across the island that are open and receptive to this training so that we can come in alongside of them and kind of do an Ephesians chapter 4 type of thing and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we're praying for multiplication. We're praying for our great work of God. Um, right now, statistically, the Dominican Republic, a lot of people say, well, why aren't you in Haiti? Shouldn't you be in Haiti? Well, if you look at the numbers, there's only about 10 of the Dominican Republic is considered to be evangelical, and Haiti is up between 15 and 20% evangelical. And so when it comes to spiritual darkness, the Dominican is the darker side of the island, and we want to change that. We want to see God's glory magnified through the worship of his chosen people here on the island. So be praying for, for just, um, you know, the, the, the harvest is ripe, and we need laborers. That's what we're praying for. Craig, I want to thank you again for joining us. I thank you for your ministry there in the Dominican Republic. I appreciate you and appreciate your friendship. Yes, sir. I I deeply love you, my brother, and I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you um, shortly. That's Craig McClure joining us on the Beyond the Game program. Craig and Joanna and their two children are missionaries to the Dominican Republic. They are partnered with SCORE International. They would covet your prayers, I'm sure, and your financial support will go a long way, too. You can go to scoreintl.org, scoreintl.org. Search for Craig, Joanna, McClure, uh, any combination of those things, and you can find out more about them. You can help support them in their work, and and he is a man of God that is passionate, and I mean passionate, about making disciples. To hear him preach, he brings the truth, and I'll tell you, he is not deterred. That man has stood in the face of threats against the lives of his children, people on drugs, people uh, involved in witchcraft and voodoo that said that they would rape his wife, take a machete to his kids. It is disturbing some of the things he's dealt with, some of the stories I know, some of the stories I don't. God has protected that family, and he has a courage given by God, and he's very much in the center of God's will. Craig McClure, joining us on Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. We'll be back right after this. 
Hey, let me ask you, are you still seeing those pesky stink bugs around your home? Though the weather has been a little milder than normal, if you're still seeing them, it may mean that they've found a home with you. Listen, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, and they will take care of the problem. And they'll do it quickly, professionally, and affordably. Seeing too many spiders around the house? Call Town & Country. Other creepy, crawly things move in out of the weather? Call Town & Country. Larger noises coming from the attic, walls, or basement? Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today at 426-5024. That's 426-5024. And when an emergency rodent or animal control situation finds you, Town & Country is ready to handle whatever pest problem you may have. Remember, Town & Country fears nothing but God. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions at 426-5024 or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. The new self-titled album from the Derringers is now available on iTunes and Spotify. With haunting lyrics which reveal the passion behind each song, their harmonies and acoustic styling blend together superbly for a unique sound that feels like home. Download the Derringers today. The five-song EP is just $4.95 and available now on iTunes and Spotify. I've been telling you about McAfee's Remodeling Company on this show for a long time. They're family-owned and have been in business for nearly two decades. They're great for all your interior and exterior home remodeling needs, but they also do much more. McAfee's Remodeling is now proud to offer Hydro Garden Construction to help you become more self-sufficient by growing food in your own home year-round. And they are now proud to be offering skylights and light tunnel installation. Light tunnels bring more healthy natural light into your home, allowing you to use less artificial light and save on electricity. So give McAfee's Remodeling a call at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. You know what frost my fanny? You watch your language. Did that totally frost your fanny? Get off my lawn. Man, that'll frost your fanny. If your life had a face, I would punch it. That really frosts my fanny. Easy, compadre. Did I just frost your fanny? As a matter of fact, you did. So I hate it, Zach, when broadcasters use use terms out of context. I know I do it at times, just in regular conversation, and I drive myself crazy. For instance, I was listening this morning, uh, former New York Jets quarterback Ray Lucas, he's talking about Cam Newton and how if you don't defend him right, that he can kill you. There's, <laughs> there's a phrase that, man, just, okay, I get it. It's, it's probably, that's probably a fairly popular, loosely used term. You know, people say, oh, I don't, that'll kill you. But in light of how PC society has gotten and how offensive everything and everyone is, isn't that a bit of an unfortunate term in light of homicide statistics? You think but, so? Yeah, but here's another one. I don't like it when they call a game a war. It's it's not it's not a war. I know what they mean, but I think it's unintentionally disrespectful. The men and women who serve in our armed forces, they're dealing with a war. Law enforcement officers are dealing with a war. Someone getting paid a lot of money to play a game is not in a war. And again, no. I know what they mean. It just bugs me. But beyond that, you know I enjoy sports talk radio. That's why we have this show, because we're fans of sports talk radio. I get in my car. I tend to bounce around. I get a multitude of opinions. 
I, on my iTunes, I, I have iHeartRadio, I have Tuned In Radio, and I'm, I'm listening to stations all over the country. So this week, I feel robbed when it comes to this stupid radio row leading up to the Super Bowl. It's awful radio. The athletes that are not involved in the Super Bowl, you may actually be interested in hearing from them, but they're just going from booth to booth and appearing on every show. Oh, you'll yeah. see you'll see Dan Marino at whatever time on this show. 20 minutes later, he's on another one. Then he's on another one. They're saying the same thing every time, promoting the same sponsorship, the same cause, the same product that they're paid to push. And they're all sponsored by somebody. Head and Shoulders had, uh, uh, who was it? Um, Brett Kiesel. I okay. Think. And he's doing some head and shoulders hair consultant. Um, Dan Marino was there doing Nutrisystem. Uh, uh, Terrell Owens was there doing something. They're, they all have something and it's just so you're hearing it over and over and over and over. And then there's the players who are involved in the Super Bowl. And these poor guys are just answering the same questions over and over and mm-hmm. over. And people have nothing left to ask. It's two weeks of Super Bowl coverage. There's nothing left to ask. So they're asking Cam Newton about his socks with sandals. And the poor guy, he just wants to play football. I don't want to answer questions about socks with sandals. Well, he does wear some really weird stuff. Well, so do I. But well, that's true. Well, you're not at Radio Row, though. But that but, is some of the worst. Oh, some it's of the horrible. Worst radio, yeah. And to make it worse, they run out of people to put on the air. So then they start talking to anybody. They've gone through the Dan Marinos. They've gone through all the guys on, on the roster for the Super Bowl. They get some guy who's happened to serve Brett Favre at a fast food drive through once during a Super Bowl <laughs> week years ago. And those are the people that we get for our once a week show. Yeah. You know, you guys are better than this. As a fan, I think I'd like to go though. It's, it's a circus. Like there's guys there in costume. There's, uh, Latin American supermodels from stations you've never heard of there asking stupid questions. People who've never covered football before. Yeah, they don't know what it even is. You know, like it's just, it's, I do think it's I'd, crazy. I'd like to go and walk around as a fan. But if we were ever to get to a point where we were invited to broadcast from Radio Row, I, I don't think I'd want to do it. Well, I'm probably lying. I think maybe I'd want to do it once. Oh, yeah. But I wouldn't want to go every year. That I want to go as a fan and walk around and see everything going on because it's absolutely hideous radio. I mean, I'm listening to old Beyond the Game podcasts to avoid Radio Row. How <laughs> awful is that? But as you know, we have now in our studio, we have uh, this sweet TV. And I'm working in the studio the other day, and I'm watching Cowherd do his program. Oh, Just have why? it on kind of in the background. I, I bounce around. I told you I, I like to do that. But being being busy making dreams come true as I was, I didn't switch when the show ended, and it was followed by Jason Whitlock's house party on Oof. Fox Sports FS1. Now, before you jump to conclusions, I actually don't mind Whitlock. I think he's bright. I think he's articulate. No, I don't agree with everything he says, but, I mean, other than my wife, there aren't too many people who I do agree with everything they say <laughs> other than my wife. You'll tell her I said this because she doesn't listen to the program. At times, his opinions are predictable. He's repetitious. He's always on the same cause, the same themes. I get that. But overall, I think he's fine. He's not my favorite, but he's fine. 
But anyway, this program that Fox has him roped into with Jason McIntyre and Julie Stewart Binks is just hideous. Give them the benefit of the doubt, I suppose I should, and say that I only saw maybe 15 minutes of one program. It's probably not fair for me to expect them to be at the top of their game every moment of every broadcast like I expect you to be. But it was just, it was trashy. Perhaps I should have known by the title House Party when they would tease guests. You know how they'll do that coming up later in the show. They'll show the guests backstage and the camera would show them with a red solo cup. And we all know what the red solo cup is, mm-hmm. you know, and every upcoming guest was shown with one of these red solo cups to the fact that it's, it just seems so orchestrated. The first guest on the, on this particular day was Rob Gronkowski. So of course it's always going to lean towards the trashy side and, uh, this may have been just a technical mistake, but it was kind of funny. For a minute or so, they were asking him questions. The camera's on him. He's answering the questions, and the mic is off. I mean, it's amateur hour. <laughs> it was kind of funny watching his lips move. No sound at all. I mean, you'd have been fired immediately. But then Julie Stewart-Banks, who I think is recycled from another failed Fox show. I, I don't remember for sure. I've seen her somewhere, but I, I don't really know who she is. She starts trying to convince Gronkowski to do a striptease-type dance. I'm watching on TV. Obviously, nobody's getting naked. But the whole thing was just unsettling to see. These people carrying on less like professional broadcasters and more like drunk animals in heat. And, of course, Gronkowski being Gronkowski, he appeases her and grinds his way onto her lap as he starts pulling. she starts pulling out money and throwing it his way. The entire thing was just troubling. That sounds like the New Year's Eve show. Oh, it was awful. (laughs) I did find myself glad that Gronk wasn't appearing on Michael K's show, because I don't want to see that same thing with Michael K. Oh, no. I mean, there's just not enough stories to cover on a two-week period, and consequently, Sports Talk Radio suddenly becomes a college keg party, and it it was disturbing. Well, what did you expect? As Star Wars fans, we know that anything with a character named Binks in it is going to be bad television. Well, that's enough of that. We've we've made our point. Why don't we take a break? I'll get a cup of coffee, relax a bit. Coming up after the break, we'll have our Pest of the Week. This is Beyond the Game, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Everyone, listen up. We have said it time and time again on this show, and it's never been more true than right now. Our title sponsor, Town & Country Pest Solutions, and we would say this even if they weren't giving us money because they're the best, just not as often. They have a solution for you. Are stink bugs bothering you? Call Town & Country. Are mice or other furry critters using your home as an escape from the cold? Call Town & Country. Do you have bed bugs or know someone that does? Call Town & Country. Their team of extremely knowledgeable professionals will get the job done for you. They will be in and out, inconveniencing you a lot less than those pesky critters have. And unlike some other popular pest control companies in the area, Town & Country Pest Solutions guarantees their work. They also won't make you leave your house for days and weeks. A few hours at the very most is all they need. Don't delay. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. 
btgprogram.com or follow us on Twitter at btgprogram. Title sponsor of Beyond the Game is Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. My pest of the week is, well, this was actually a tough week for me to make a choice, Zach. Should I go with NASCAR driver Tony Stewart, <laughs> who will not be able to participate in the Daytona 500 after being hospitalized for being involved in an accident with an ATV? <laughs> But I won't be him because I guess that's what those highly competitive racing type guys do. So maybe I should go with the two Syracuse defensive ends who were dismissed from the program because of a, because of failed drug tests. Syracuse is now even thinner on defense as this leaves just two scholarship defensive ends on the roster. Although they did bring in three more on national signing day, but Cuse is a northern school, so you wouldn't have heard that on TV. But since the pair were already on indefinite suspension by the schools, I suppose I won't pick them either. So I settled on my pest of the week is former NFL player and current analyst Rodney Harrison. On an appearance this week on the Dan Patrick show, Harrison became the latest of a string of a bunch, really, of former NFL defensemen to try to show how manly they still are by saying they would injure Cam Newton in an attempt to stop him. Frankly, I think Newton would run many of these guys over that are, oh, yeah, I'd hurt oh, yeah. him, I'd take him out. I don't think so. Cam's bigger than Rodney Harrison he, is. He's a big guy. And after saying he would take him out, Patrick asks him what he meant. Here's his response, and take notice of the awkward silence when he gives his explanation. I would try to hurt him. I would go right at his knees. That's the goal. I would try to, that's the goal. You want to knock him out. That might be the difference between winning and losing the Super Bowl. And, and guess, and trust me, you know, back when I came in the league, these are the conversations we had. Hey, man, we, we need to knock him out. That's just what it is. The silence is only three seconds, but it seems like an eternity. It's just so, it's so loud and awkward. And it, it, the silence. I think it's one thing to say you'd hit him hard enough that he'd think twice about running. That's just tough physical play, but it's another thing entirely to try to injure another player. But, Fans will continue to blame the league for the ridiculous rule definitions instead of players who try to injure other players. But I guess the league doesn't make those fans cash in their silly fantasy leagues. Rodney Harrison is my pest of the week. My pest of the week is former White Sox minor league pitcher Corey McGinnis. According to the New York Daily News, he broke into an office building, ate a box of leftover pizza, and apparently spent the night. Police followed a trail of pizza from the office refrigerator and found him still at the scene of the crime in a back room, passed out on a pile of pillows, with pizza sauce on his clothes, with a cell phone charging and a space heater running. <laughs> the dude broke into a, into an office after their uh, pizza party and just camped out, ate the pizza, found pillows, found a space heater, charged his phone. I don't know what he was thinking, but Corey McGinnis, that's my pest of the week. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game has been brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Townandcountrysolutions.com or give them a call at 585-426-5024. Tell them Benson sent you. And just to be transparent for a moment, Town & Country's investment has made this program possible. So if you've enjoyed the program, please give them your business when you have a pest problem. And if you don't have one now, watch out because you will sooner or later. But if you don't have a problem now, Give them a call. Send them a note. Thank them for their part in bringing this program to you. Thanks for joining us. For Zach, I'm Rick Benson. We'll talk to you next time. 